Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at OTC in Houston, Texas at Lloyd Register's booth 3761 with David Ryder. David, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Good, good. Well, thanks for coming on to the show. I love your guys' booth, actually. I've never, I mean, I've seen Lloyd Register over the past few years. You guys have been here for a few years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've yeah. been coming for quite a few years, but probably not in the same location. But as you probably know with OTC, it's pretty difficult to get a booth yeah. along the main thoroughfare. You have to wait for someone to drop out before you can get yeah. the booth you really want. Right. So it's a it's and, a, it's a popular it's conference. Yeah, it's, it's very popular. Very yeah. popular. So you guys have had booths now for how long? Like a few years, or do you know? I think it's been we've been doing this right from the con- from the concept. Of oh 40C. wow. Okay. Uh, in one way or the other. Wow. But having a booth of this size is probably new for us. You know, it's been smaller boots yeah but as you move up you get the opportunity to have bigger boots that's exactly but we've been we've been present for i think right from the from the very go fantastic well it that, that says a lot having a booth like this at otc you guys are obviously doing something well so the conference is going good have you have you done any parties or anything outside the conference so far have you gone to the shrimp boil or any crawfish boils or anything like that or are you just working the whole time I'm just working however we did have a, a customer event Okay. Last night. Good. At a really crazy place. But the weather, as you know, was unbelievable, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but we had a really good turnout where we had about 150 people there. You know, the majority of them were, were our clients. Good. Even with the rain, they turned out, which is, which is, which is good. You've got some good customers. We have indeed, yeah. Yeah. Good. Where was it? Now, yeah, yeah, there you have me. No, where, is, was it, it downtown was, or? It was, it was, it was probably just uh, around Kirby, North Kirby. Okay. Right. Good. So it's a good, it's a good spot. Yeah. Just, just down, uh, just south of Midtown. Yes. Okay. No, that's a beautiful area. I'm familiar with that. I asked you if you'd went to a shrimp bowl. Have you ever eaten crawfish? Being, you know, coming into OTC now for a while. Have you, have you eaten the famous crawfish that we have? No, I have not. No. Okay. No, well, then if you ever get the opportunity and someone asks you to go eat crawfish, you need to try it out. It's like a little shrimp. Yeah. It originates in, in Louisiana, but you peel it, and it, it's kind of a cultural thing down is here. Really? So Yeah, it is. More so for Louisiana, like the Cajun, the French, yeah. and, and people from that neck of the woods. But Texans, you know, obviously we like our Tex-Mex, but crawfish is, is something you got to try. So if you I'll get the opportunity, you, give I'll it a shot. i well, I have been. Yeah? The original nymphers. Oh, really? We were told about that <laughs> right on the first day. The best Mexican in town. Yeah? What did so, you think? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah? Brilliant. How did, how did your guts feel after that? Brilliant. Okay. Well, no problem at all. Oh, really? Yeah, the original, <laughs> really, if you want to try the original uh, good Mexican, yeah. the original Nymphas. Okay. Try it. You know, I've been here now for almost six or seven years, and I haven't had it. So it's, that's the thing about Houston. There's about a trillion restaurants. So, you know, you can literally go to one every day and never go to the same one twice. I actually remember where we went last night. Now it's come back to you. It must have been the beer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Armadillo Palace. Oh, okay. Well, I've never been there. Uh, again, cool place. Okay, good to know. Good to know. So we're here to obviously recording a podcast. Have you been on a podcast before? I have many years ago. So, I'm, so my background's not from this industry. Oh, okay. I actually come from media and telecoms. Okay, well tell uh, us a little so, about your background then. Yeah, sure. So I started off in telecoms. Man and boy, working for fixed and mobile. Okay. Deployed many solutions globally for, for that. Worked 
work globally. It started off in the UK, then the US, Japan, Italy, Turkey. And then I came across to the US and worked for ESPN for three years. No way. So, yeah, oh, brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the highlights of my career so far. I would imagine. Where was that? Where were you based? In, in Manhattan. Manhattan. Oh, cool. What an experience, eh? Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Right on. Yeah, That's cool. So not, not just the job itself, but the actual environment. Oh, it's... The media environment is so different to anywhere else. I bet. Yeah, to, to this industry, to the telecoms industry, to the IT industry. Yeah. The media is just way out. Okay. They're very different. Very, cool. very good as well. Huh. So then after that, so how did you actually end up at Lloyd's? So, so like I said, my background is telecoms and digital, right? So after I was actually at ESPN to help them launch their digital channel, which is, which is uh, mobile. Oh. Okay. So their mobile phone, their mobile service, etc. And after that, I went back to the UK. I did a, a bunch of digital startups, worked for telecoms again, focusing on, on, on digital. Yeah. And then uh, I got approached by Lord's Register to come and help them set up their digital innovation practice. So the CTO in the column asked me to come and help them specifically together with other folk to build LR's digital innovation right. and our digital solutions. Okay. Because our customers were increasingly asking us, you know, what are you doing? You know, we are an extremely trusted brand in the industry for traditional services for compliance audits, for inspection services. We're very, very traditional and very, well, you know, one of the most respected brands in the industry. So they were looking for our, to us for advice on digital. Yeah. We didn't really have anything up to about three years ago. I joined two years ago. Okay. But this, the digital practice started three years ago. And we, through acquisitions that LR made, we already uh, had a couple of leading solutions actually within the energy industry okay well for, for i think it's called downhole so forgive me i'm new to the industry so. no that's totally fine uh, so we have a couple of products called ipic okay which is actually leading the market and we've also got another solution called risk spectrum which is probably one of the leading risk-based softwares for power stations okay so based on that we had a good grounding to go on yeah but we didn't really have anything else right so he brought us together together with a bunch of other folks to start building their innovation practice and the digital offerings that we have now. Wow. So you got sort of in right when you guys were trying to revolutionize that space, it sounds like. It's pretty difficult, right? Because this market, as you probably know, is not one for innovation Sure. when it comes to digital. Right. Innovation, traditional products, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you're trying to do things differently. But when it comes for, from a digital perspective and using data in general to really create that step change, of, of operations or what they need to do, they're lagging behind. You know, so I've worked, when I was in telecoms, you know, one of the key industries I worked in was automotive. Ah. And, and the other one was smart cities. Okay. Way, way far more advanced. So look at your car, right? You had sensors in your car that you don't even know about. Yet oh, yeah. The operators, the manufacturers know exactly the state of it. Yeah. Apply that same principle in the automotive industry to the shipping and the marine industry or even to the energy to oil rigs etc yeah i would say about one percent of data that's generated from a rig is actually used right oh lord right well that's and it's like you know we haven't even opened pandora's box i mean there's we're at the tip of an iceberg right now which is super exciting 
and definitely some topics I want to touch on. But before we keep going, I just want to take a quick break. If you'd like to support the show for all the listeners out there, please subscribe and do me a huge favor and take a few minutes, leave a review. And uh, you know, on any platform you're listening to, you can even send me a, a note on LinkedIn. I've had several people reach out to me, uh, a young lady reached out to me actually yesterday evening, a uh, chemical engineer just got out of college, you know, and said that uh, the podcast has helped her get a better understanding of the industry as a whole. And, you know, some of the stuff that we've talked about, whether it be directional drilling or drill bits, you know, different types of software out there for land management, it's, uh, it's really neat. And, and uh, so I appreciate the feedback. And of course, if there's any ever criti- any criticism out there, I welcome that too. Perfect. Well, let's keep going. So y- you told us a little bit about your background. So, you know, the industry knows what Lloyd Register traditionally provides, but not necessarily what you do across the digital and innovation. So can you give me a brief overview? I know you touched on it a little bit, but let's dive a little deeper into that part. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that's one of our best kept secrets, right? So if you look at even our, our website, currently we don't say a lot to it, but it's an, it's an evolution. So we're not only trying to digitally transform the industry, we're also trying to digitally transform our own Lloyd's Register. So it sure. takes, takes time to do that. So let's, let's explore what we currently do and how we do that. So we, we, we have two things. So our innovation strategy is based purely on our product strategy. And our product strategy is around asset performance at one angle and risk management on the other angle. Okay, okay. So the, uh, again, asset performance, you know, how to make things better, how to improve the way assets are performing in their whole life cycle end to end, you know, from a maintenance perspective, from a inspection perspective, how do you do reduce the risk of, of, of the asset failing? How do you reduce the risk of people who operate that asset? So that's really our, our, our product strategies. Okay? So, and, and we've got a range of solutions. You know, one, one I mentioned, a couple I mentioned earlier on was IPIC, Risk Spectrum is another one. Right. And, and we've also Risk-Based Inspection Solution, which is all assets, where we're looking at various models that we are that we have in, you know, about 75% of the assets out there, we have, we have risk-based models, like, which form, forms the basis for our all-asset solution, which, we are, which we're currently just launching and launched already. So it's, it's, it's an ongoing evolution as we're doing that. So, uh, you know, we've got a whole... Then, then you tag on to the side of it, innovation. Okay, and what are we looking at innovation? So we're looking at new things that are going to make a step change to our, 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 our product strategy to get that to the next level. Like, so to give you, to give you an, uh, some, of, some of the examples, yeah. we, we started looking at data analytics, big data analytics. Right, which is a big right? topic it's nowadays. Big, big, but everyone's doing that. Right. So what can we do that's different? So we started exploring natural language processing. Okay, you said okay. natural language? Natural language processing. processing. Okay, so interesting. People, I've never heard of that. Okay, yeah. So, so go back a few years. So get data analytics. You do word searches. And everyone does word searches to pick out the key words. Natural language processing goes one stage further. It does pick out the keywords, but it also looks at the context of what those keywords are applied in. Ah, okay. so, so it reads a sentence and makes sense of that sentence. So imagine you reading a book. You can make sense of that, right? A computer reading book can't make sense of that because it's picking out keywords. Sure. So it will only tell you the key things. Natural language processing together with artificial intelligence goes at one stage further. You have to train the model. You have to train the AI to say, right, what's the context of that. So a good example is health and safety. Okay. A lot of the health and safety reports that are filled in by our industry, not just our industry, but any industry, right? Mm-hmm. It goes onto a form. 
which is standardized. Okay, and it has different categories in there. So you start off, you probably about, say for example, you have 10 categories mm-hmm. to associate an accident that you have to happen, that happens in a workplace. Right. So you associate a category to it and you enter a lot of text at the bottom to describe what happened. Yeah. When you're, traditionally, when you're, when, you're, when you're putting your health and safety strategy together, you look at the categories that's been applied and you do traditional analysis to pick out the key categories that have happened time and time again. No one looks at the text. Right. No one looks at the text, right? The other issue you have, if it doesn't fit in those 10 categories you happen to have chosen, you stick it under other. Sure. Common thing to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, if you're, if you're at sea, you're super busy, someone has an accident, what would you do, right? You, you have a quick scan down, oh, it doesn't fit any of those because I can't be bothered, stick it under other. That's when the text comes in. Okay, so the AI, together with natural language processing, can read that text. Okay. And verify the category. If it's under other, it says, hang on a second, this is not other. This could be a slip. This could be a trip. This could be a, associated to an accident or a traffic accident. So that's what we're doing. We're looking to artificial intelligence, machine learning, wow. to actually extract that data and come up with a categorization that's never seen before. So all of a sudden, now you're using real data to put your health, health and safety strategy in place. Wow. Picking out, picking out the key areas to focus on next time, mm. right? The other area, the other thing associated with health and safety, which not a lot of people sort of appreciate, is that although it's high on everyone's list, right, because it's highly visible, right. it's actually not heavily invested by most companies it's kind of the budget, of people to look at it, etc. Yeah, it's almost like it's it's important, but it's kind of an afterthought, it's an right? Afterthought. And it's it's more of a pain in the ass for it everyone than it is. But it which is, is crazy because we're talking about people's lives, people's right? Lives. It's absolutely. Uh, it's 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 odd how people view it, but it's not sexy, and and it, and and a lot of times people look at it like it's you know it's inhibiting them to continue with productivity. When in turn, absolutely. you know, we need people to be healthy and safe in order to, to actually execute jobs. But I, I see where you're going with that, for sure. It, it, it helps you focus in on the key areas that you've traditionally missed. Of course. Full stop. That's what it does, right? Yeah. But, and, and coupled with that, what we're also doing is we're helping people put a digital solution in place, get away with the forms. Right. Or if you've even got a digital form, enhance that form based on historical data that's from you. Right, right? which ultimately saves time and, and less oh man God. hours, which people don't want to give that up. And, and you always hear the saying, right, health and safety gone mad. Yeah. Health and safety gone mad is because you're actually deploying health and safety solutions that are not really needed. It's just <laughs> sure. there because it happens because it's right on top of the agenda. Yeah. Focusing on what's really going to make a difference. That's the key here. Yeah. All right? Right. And now take that same methodology that I've spoken about with natural language processing, AI, and machine learning and apply it to other parts of the enterprise, maintenance. Same thing, right? Yeah. Your maintenance strategy is either based on what the OEM tells you to do, what you traditionally know, breaks. But do you ever really look back at historical maintenance records, which are invariably written by the, by the engineers, either for planned maintenance or unplanned maintenance? And do you do any real analytics of all the vast amounts of text that's written on the maintenance report? Hmm. Imagine doing that, applying the same principles. Wow. Okay, for a piece of asset, for any asset, this now gives you the ability to benchmark that asset. 
Gotcha. All right. So now you, yeah, everyone talks about condition-based maintenance, which is about live monitoring of the asset to sort of try to predict where something's going wrong. If you start that from, from scratch, you're going to have to do that over a period of time to build that data up right. before you can create a benchmark. However, use your historical records to get to that benchmark before you even start doing condition-based maintenance. Wow. Right? Using, using this. Now, all of this naturally feeds into our all-assets solution, which is all about risk-based inspection, risk-based maintenance. Okay? Right. We're going to be launching another solution, which is asset maintenance optimization, which is part of our all-assets solution shortly. Now, take that. The ability to feed that with data, rich, really rich data, Imagine the models coming out the other end to say, hang on a second, you don't need to maintain this piece of equipment just because a manufacturer says you do that. Based on historical records, based on all the models, all the analytical models that we've got and the algorithms that we've got, this piece of equipment, you actually your maintenance lifecycle totally change, changes. Yeah. You not only extend the window, you're actually focusing in on what's really going to affect your performance mm-hmm. and what really went wrong and why it went wrong. Okay, Because now you've got the data not just of... The key, the key reasons why it failed, also the secondary reasons why it failed, and also the circumstances in which it failed. Right. All right? So this is when big data really goes, comes into its force, right? If, if on that maintenance report this happened to have failed because of certain conditions at sea, for example, right? We have now the ability, through big data, to search historical records, weather records, to see what the actual conditions were. Okay. And see, to be able to correlate the two so when you go to predicting things, you know what to look out for, and the parameters change for that piece of equipment in high seas, for example. Mm. You could take a pump, right? A pump goes under tremendous stress, pumping out water through high seas with rolling, etc. That operates in a very, very different way to when it's calm. Mm-hmm. You don't need it. Right. right? So what's, what's the correlation? What's the parameters to look out for? What's, what's, you know, when, when it's going to fail, if it's going to fail. Does my maintenance schedule need to be reflective of the fact that the, this has gone through high weather for time and time again? Changes the way you look at maintenance. Totally changes it. Yeah. So a lot of these solutions, I mean, I know are, I guess, relatively early in their stages. Are a lot of the, cu- the customers and people you're dealing with that have applied these are they seeing the return on the investment? Because, I mean, obviously, yeah. solutions cost money. Are they able to quantify the value in using these types of solutions? So most, most of our pilots, that's precisely that. So we're working with a number of customers, both large and small, you know, large oil, oil, oil companies as well, where we've run through this. And we've seen savings of the maintenance budget, really, okay. of up to 27%. Wow. That's an awful lot, right? So if you can get for half itself. a percent... Yeah. It's unbelievable, but to see 27%, it does pay for itself. So you're drastically seeing the needle moving, obviously, which is great. Yes, yeah, but, but again, there's a caveat there, right? Getting people to step back from what they're currently doing because they're extremely busy. These guys are extremely busy. The industry is lean and mean at the moment, right? You <laughs> yeah. don't have the luxury of 10 people looking after your maintenance. We're in the downturn management. hangover still. Exactly. Right? So <laughs> yeah. getting people to step back, take time out, and work with you, to actually come up with all of these new ways of doing things is pretty difficult. Right. No, I can imagine. Plus, you also have the other added thing is that they're continually bombarded by the OEMs, by other guys wanting to come and tell, 
sell him the latest and greatest. Yeah, I'll give you a good example. Like most, most OEMs over the past four or five years don't normally sell you, they don't come and sell you an engine. They come and sell you power as a service. Right. And that includes the sensing of the equipment, the, the digital twinning of the equipment, the ability to maintain it for you so you don't have any, anything to worry about it. Okay, but at work, that's, that's great. Absolutely great. But what happens when it comes to this end of life where it gets more and more expensive to maintain it, but you may, you as an operator may want to do it yourself. Plus, I mentioned the word digital twin. So I'll go back to that, right? And we can't compete with the OEMs creating digital twins off their pieces of equipment. But take a, I don't know, a, a tanker. To create a digital twin of a tanker is not just about the engine. It's about everything on there. Yeah, so how do, how, do, how do we enable them to do that? Because it's, 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 we're, we're just at the start of the journey for doing all of that. And we started a few projects with, with a couple of clients specifically to help them do that, where we act as that independent aggregator, for want of a better word, not necessarily an aggregator, but someone independent mm-hmm. where all the OEMs can trust and work with right. together with the client to actually come up with that end-to-end view. Interesting. So what would you say the biggest challenge is with regards to personnel actually adopting these types of things? I mean, are, are, pe- are people quite receptive to, to the change and, and new way of looking at it? Or are people yeah. sort of set in their ways from, you know, the way they've always done it? It's variable. Right? Yeah. So it is, I think they're set in the ways they've always done it because of pressures right. to deliver, right? And lack of time to step back. But people are continually striving. You can't say that they're not continually striving to get better because they are. Because human nature that does that. It's just the fact that, do they, do they have the time? Is the solution going to offer real return of investment for them to do something different? Right. But, and that's the key thing. Yeah. You have to demonstrate that this is going to make a step change for them in one way or the other. Gotcha. So what is the current overall state of the industry that you focus in specifically, such as energy and marine? And where do you see its future? So both are very different in how they approach innovation and digital which is what you know, well, we're talking about here. Right. So let's take energy, Energy, for example. You, you know the downturn, right? We've all, we, we talk about it all the time. This is where it's more and more important that digital and data comes into focus and how it will help them do things. So imagine you know, doing, doing remote inspection, doing remote monitoring of equipment, doing understanding what the asset is telling you so you don't have to send someone out in a dangerous position or dangerous areas to actually do stuff. It can be done remotely. All that has to come in because ultimately it's going to help save them the bottom line of people are a most expensive asset and also a most highly risk asset. You know, 80% of accidents in the workplace are because of us. Okay, so how can, all, how can technology and all of that help the energy industry to continue to operate lean and mean, which is where they are now? Yeah, and they okay. want to stay like that. And they want to stay like that. Okay, so it's really, really, really important that anyone that deploys digital solutions to that industry helps understand that driver because it's, you know, it's only going to get harder. Okay, so there's changes happening next year as well, so we're going to make it harder for the industry as a whole to be able to operate lean and mean. Mm. And so that's why it's, I think, and then you go to the marine industry, and the marine industry goes ebbs and flows, right, in shipbuilding. And, and even within the marine and offshore, it's dependent upon the sectors you operate in. So take the cruise ships. The cruise ship industry loses a hell of a lot of money. If something goes wrong with a cruise ship and it gets delayed in port, 
That's highly impactful. Mm. Highly impactful, right? Not just from a customer service perspective, but from the whole supply chain that's lined up to actually you know, feed that ship when it comes into port. The, the, everything else, you have to pay fees to dock. It's, it's huge. You've got, you've got millions of dollars. Oh, I can guess, imagine. You know? But that doesn't necessarily apply, apply to, to a bunker vessel that's carrying, you know, I don't know, minerals from point A to point B. Okay, if, if it's delayed by a few minutes or a few hours, it does, it's not a big impact sure. as that. So there's different pressures on that. However, if they happen to be tied into the markets, then there is an impact. So you have to understand all these pressures applying these, the, the various parts of the marine industry and come up with solutions that really meet their needs. Wow. All right, so that's, that's a challenge. It's so diverse. It's not the same as the automotive market. It's not as simple as that. Right? It's really diverse and it's really different. Okay. So what, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, sorry. no, yeah. no, you did. And, and the only thing I was going to ask, you know, to supplement that question is, is where do you see the future then? Let's just, in energy, because that's what we're focused around today. Yeah. Where do you see the future in that then? So I think, I think the, the, the future in energy is going to be about automation, about sensors, about uh, everyone talks about IoT. You know, IoT is going to make a big impact. What is IoT? It's actually IIoT. It's the Industrial Internet of Things. Ah, okay. Okay, this is the ability to deploy sensors globally, okay, across all assets, either built in by the OEMs or retrospectively attached to a piece of equipment that will monitor it. Okay, so that, and what's, what's happening there is that the telecoms industry is actually driving the adoption of IoT, strangely enough. Right. But with the different technologies that have been coming on board, such as narrowband IoT, which will you know, exponentially increase the battery life on a, on a device, Okay, from maybe five years to maybe 20 years. Oh, wow. Right, reduce the chipset because of it as well. So imagine you are wearing a wearable okay, that monitors your body condition on a rig. Yeah. Doing that automatically, you don't even have to charge it up right, wow. because it's, the battery life will be exponential using the narrowband IoT spectrum to give the operators of that rig a view of how you're performing. Oh, so cow, things that like would that are going to be It's going to come, right? So there, it's yeah. happening already. Then you have 5G, right? 5G is a new thing yeah. everyone talks about. And that, that at the very top level of 5G is, is the ability to do real, real streaming of remotely. All right? uh, so you don't need Wi-Fi. So this is more reliable than Wi-Fi. All right? and, and a secure transmission over the air of, of life. So again, if you have an accident somewhere, treating that accident remotely becomes a reality through a mobile phone. Hmm. because of live video of 5G. So things are changing, but in the telecoms industry, it's actually going to drive the sensor industry, going to drive the battery industry, it's going to enable anyone within, within the, the energy industry to deploy sensors, to monitor things remotely, wow. and make things easier. That's crazy. So, I, I mean, I'm very familiar with you know, wearables and stuff like that. Hmm. I'm, I'm quite heavily involved with health and fitness, and so tracking you know, HRV, heart rate, oxygen levels, you know, just different you know, biomarkers of, of your overall health. And, and so to see that get applied into, you know, the energy industry more so from the field standpoint, I could see that being a big one, everyone wearing one on, say, a, you know, a ship or a rig, tracking their heart rate, maybe even blood pressure or something to the effect where if someone, you know, just to make sure that they're performing at a high level and, and maybe even through data analytics, say, okay, this person's close to dehydration and it sets off a warning. Hey, look, you needed to take a break. It looks like your XYZ levels are mm-hmm. not in line. So 
that's fascinating you kind of brought that up i would have never connected those dots but it, it sounds i mean that's real and and i could see that definitely happening it, it, it's happening already yeah uh, so we, we we're currently deploying some solutions mostly in the trial phase because again it's about educating people that this stuff works right so we're working with a with a small company at the moment that provides a wristband that monitors you okay 24/7 what does it monitor do and so know? so it monitors your heart rate monitors your pressure it then through work done at MIT and NASA it actually has algorithms built into it to actually measure your fatigue no way it does right and wow. it's super, is it a, you, super accurate is it a is it a, i mean because you can't really quantify fatigue so is it like a unitless sort of number that says high indeed. is good low is yeah, bad yeah, yeah. kind of thing uh, so it also monitors your sleep yeah. your sleep patterns how right. much sleep you've had what type of sleep you've had yeah okay and we've done a number of tri- studies so one one particular customer we've just done a trial with it totally blows your mind right uh, we did it with 30 guys okay. out, out in the field and out of the 30 guys more than half of them were were working under duress fatigued oh i'm sure right? there's yeah that's... and there's about five of them we don't think they ever got any sleep full stop they either got two or three jobs going or they just don't sleep wow yeah so then we were able to work with the health and safety guys to say hang on a second you need to do something about this lot yeah okay because of you know, personal data protection laws etc they were anonymized okay for this particular list of people so we had to say to them, you know, you can't go and target this one guy who's not getting any sleep because that's not the, the object of the exercise. The object of the exercise is to identify your workforce as a total to see whether your health and safety is actually working and your, client and your employee care works. So you need to do something that, that does this for the whole of your operation. Now, we're just about to do another trial with another client down in Singapore who happens to be a marine client where they want to deploy these wristbands, it actually predicts fatigue up to about eight minutes in advance. Wow. We've got another solution that you can wear a helmet that also predicts predicts fatigue. As part of the safety accelerator, which I'll come on to in a little bit, Sure. we've got a, we had a demonstration yesterday from one of our partners that looks at your iris. And based on questions that you respond in your iris, it, it can do anything. Oh, my God, it's scary. What? It can actually say... If you're lying, how fatigued you are, how stressed you are, whether you're appropriate, apart from identifying who you are, it can give you all this. So we're looking at all these types of technologies and how it can be applied. Now imagine this on a rig, yeah. right? Operators are going on to a rig. Number one, yes, it's highly important that then these guys are not fatigued. Right. However, you and I know it's, it's boring. Right? So what you do, you volunteer for more overtime. Okay? If you volunteer for more overtime... That means the time, the rest period you're having is less. So how can you monitor that? Stick a wristband on them. Right. How can you then monitor that the right people are going in the right path at the rig at any given time? PC that reads your iris as you walk in and monitor how risky. These guys are going to operate something really important. Yeah. We need to know if these guys are highly, if, if there's a high risk from doing that. Right. Yeah. And then you can even make it self-fulfilling. Well, it's not for big for me as a manager to know about it. Me as an individual, I need to know about it. Oh, absolutely. Am I, am I going to cause myself injury by going to do this? I need to know about it. Yeah. So there's different ways to deploy the stuff, right? And I, I mentioned 80% earlier on mm. of accidents happen in the workplace because of us, and it's true. 
Of course. So if we can if we can reduce that by deploying these technologies, even again by a few percentage points, it's a huge impact. Wow, that's one of the coolest things I've heard in a long time, and I give it up to Lloyd's Register. That's fascinating. That, that really interests me. So moving on, what yeah. types of challenges do you face in the marketplace with regards to keeping up with the rapid growth and evolution of technology? I mean, I know we've we've touched on this, but I mean, how does a company like yourself, being so large, keep up with it? I mean. Typically, you see the larger companies are a little bit less nimble, but they throw a lot of money into it. So how, how do you keep up with you know, the trends and what's coming down the pipeline? And, and are you constantly looking at competitors to see what they're doing? But, or like, how does that sort of work in your space? Yeah, sure. So one of the key things we're doing, you know, I mentioned the traditional products or the digital products that we have, not traditional, but the digital products that we have. Mm-hmm. It's about enhancing that strategy, making sure we're nimble enough to change that strategy as and when new technology comes in, as and when we find new partners that have technology that we can re- reuse from outside the industry and try to bring that to our customers. So we have to be nimble. We have to be not set in stone. We can't have a strategy set in stone, full stop. We can't have a product strategy set in stone, not nowadays, okay? because of the way things are built and d- delivered. And we're able to change things, agile, pro- agile methodologies, not just applies to programming, but also strategy as well. So you need to have an agile strategy yep. to start with in terms of your product strategy. Then your innovation needs to realize that it can't build everything itself. Right? You can't, that means you have to have a huge innovation department. And we don't have those sort of pockets to be able to do that. And so how do you then do that? And the idea there is to, again, I mentioned earlier on, is to go out and find partners with the cool stuff. Right. There's millions of it going on, okay? There's lots of partners, lots of small guys who have brains far greater than what I have or anyone in our team have, <laughs> sure. funded far better than what we have, who are looking for markets like us yeah. all right, to get into those markets. So how can we enable that? Okay, because then we're doing two things. One is we're helping the startups or the small, smaller guys or even anyone with technology mm-hmm. get into our market. And we're helping our market, which is going through a massive change, to create that step change. We're bringing those two together. Okay, that's quite key. And I mentioned the accelerator earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So let me explain to you what the accelerator is. Please. So as you know, Lloyd's group is owned by the foundation, which is a wholly owned charity. So we're not, we are not for, not for profit. So anything that we in the group make in terms of the solutions we sell be it a service or a solution goes back into the foundation for the greater good of the industry wow all right so the foundation then funds a number of different things going on okay so you know they're funding work by the Alan Turing Institute they're funding work by a number of different things one one thing they're doing and they have been doing is they've put together a fund I think the initial investment was about two million it's gone up since what's called the safety accelerator so this is uh, something that they've all tasked us in the group to manage on their behalf. So we go off and we talk to all of our customers. But what are the biggest challenges in safety that you've got that you just can't find a way of solving? Okay, so we gather all that information and we come up with the top four or five. Mm-hmm. And we go to the market and we, 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 we put a call for solutions out uh, there to, us, to a number of partners to say, all right, you know, can you, what have you got? that can address this issue. Okay, so we identify someone that can, identify, that can provide a solution yeah. to this issue. It could even be a startup, could be something more mature, and then we will fund the development of that solution for that partner. All right? Purely on a pilot basis. 
if it works, it's great. Then we will try to commercialize that and take that to market wider. Okay, so that's something that's funded by the foundation for the greater good of the industry. Wow. Okay, and it's it's a purely purely aimed at safety. You know, where I think we've we've caught about two clients. One, you know, I mentioned the iris recognition. Yeah, it's actually being deployed on a ship as we speak. Ah, very cool. A company called PIL. It's a container ship. Okay. So it's, again, watch out for that. Okay, we're going to be publicizing more about this. Okay. okay. Yeah. And if you want to know anything good. about it, there's an accelerator website part of Lloyd's as well. Okay. And part of Lloyd's we'll, register. So that's we'll put really that cool. in the show notes so people can please, check that out. Please do. You yeah. Know, the accelerator is unbelievable. Okay. No, so that's fascinating work. I'm excited to see kind of the, what the future holds for you yeah. guys. It sounds like you're on the front line. And that's neat how you, you, you look for, you know, you kind of look out in the marketplace to see who has solutions. It's, that's a unique sort of structure, if you will. But the way you have that set up, I think, helps drive the innovation in itself yeah. and, help, yeah. and allows you guys to, you know, get great ideas and, and different things for your customers and, and even just different options and Things that, you know, if you're going out looking for it, you may have not thought of yourself. But like you said, people out there are constantly building and developing. And, you know, to have that at your fingertips to pick and choose and then deliver to the customer, I think, is is fascinating. So a neat, neat strategy at the very least. Yeah, thank you. You know, I know we're getting close to getting it wrapped up here. I just have a couple more questions. So how do folks like yourself at Lloyd's as a whole manage in such a volatile market that we're experiencing currently? I think it's about focus and, you know, it's about something you do personally as well, right? What makes you get up every morning? Right? And, and then what makes you get up every morning is making sure that what you're doing actually makes a difference. Right. All right? And, and that's what we're, that's our ethos. Okay, so we, we're continuously striving to make sure what we're doing actually makes a step change for our customers out there. And that's the focus we have. Right. Okay, and the focus, you know, Lloyd's Register is all about safety. It's all about risk, reducing risk, increasing safety. The more solutions we have that are going to make that change, the better for not just for, you know, for our customers, but for Lloyd's Registers from a sustainability perspective, because we cannot continue, right? So our, our, our focus has always been around inspection services, compliance services, very traditional, you know, people based services yeah things are changing how can all that become digital that's the challenge we have and that's what keeps us awake that's what makes Lloyd's register focus on innovation focus on digital as well right we're continually striving to see how we can make that change from a digital perspective and start to change the way we provide services to our customers yeah and also makes it super exciting right for us you know when you've when you've got an opportunity to play with solutions coming out of Silicon Valley that's been developed, it's, it's, all, it's awesome, right? You can't, yeah. you can't do that yourself. You give me, you give me a million dollars to build a team, I don't think I'll be able to replicate some of the crazy stuff we see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this Iris thing, I wouldn't be able to do that. Right. Uh, yeah, the data science scientist that's built it, I probably wouldn't even be able to afford to pay him anything, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he's so sought after. Right. Yeah, so playing with stuff like that, it's, it's, it, that's, what, that's what makes us really focus it's all about focus how would you define the culture at lloyd's register i mean it it sounds i mean you guys are playing with some really neat stuff so how how do you sort of set the stage with regards to culture it's variable you know we are a traditional industry let's not lose focus of that right so but we're changing the culture to become more focused on digital yeah however from the top down we totally understand the drivers there 
the drive is there that the culture is going to be a digital cu- culture in the future. Okay, but it's going to take time. Like with any industry, you know, digital transformation takes time. Yeah. Both internal and external focusing. So the culture, you know, we're very collaborative. We've got teams located all around the world. I think I can't remember the amount of countries we have people in. And we do talk. We do collaborate with one another. We do try to you know, promote one another's solutions into the markets we're going. But again, it's going to take time. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's, it's, I love the culture. It's a very different culture coming from where I've come from. Sure. Which is media and telecoms, etc. Yeah. Because it's more of a, it's an older, older business that's transforming, which is really exciting. Of course. It's really exciting. You get to really ride the wave. People. Oh, my God. And we've got some really good people, both at leadership level and also actually implementing the change, who are so focused on this change of culture, change of transformation culture that we're doing, going through. That is really, really cool. That's exciting. No, I love it. So uh, one more question before we wrap it up, and this is a little bit more of a personal question, but do you have any daily habits or routines that help create a recipe for success in both your personal life and your career? I think I mentioned it earlier on. Right? If I ever wake up and not want to come into work, that means I'm doing something wrong. Of course. Me personally. It's not about who I work with or what I'm asking. That means I'm doing something wrong. Uh, so my, my ethos is always make sure that I'm doing something right that's going to encourage me tomorrow to come in. Mm. So what is it that I'm going to say to myself is, here's my goal. Okay, how am I going to get there? And then I'll work backwards and say, what are the steps I need to do to get there? Okay, because that's the way I work. And if it ever becomes mundane, either I'm doing something wrong or it's time to move on. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I understand. You got to yeah. keep the so fire burning, you gotta, right? You got to keep the fire burning. So personally, I always strive to keep that fire burning. Okay. And both with the teams I work with, you know, we are we're a small team in LR. Okay. okay? We're, we're not a huge innovation team at all. We don't have hundreds of people working for us. Sure. So it's a very very small focused team. So how many people? Charge. So roughly. I would say in the innovation team, we're probably talking about forty. 40 people in the wider digital products team, which is building all our digital solutions, probably looking at about 200 in total. I got you. And are they sort of scattered throughout the globe or are they, they are. primarily in the they UK? No, 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 no. We're scattered throughout the globe. Wow. Like at the innovation team, the main hubs for the innovation is obviously London and Singapore. Okay. But the digital product teams is here in Houston, it's in Aberdeen, it's in London, it's in Singapore. You know, it's all in our key areas. Because why? Because we have to focus. That's where our key clients are based. Sure. And we need somewhere to focus on, on a, from a hub perspective. Gotcha. So, but, you know, like I said, we're not a huge team. But, you know, our strategy over the next five, five to ten years is very different. Okay? Because digital is going to, be, going to be the way of our future. So you're going to see a growth in the team. You're going to see a growth in the digital products that we bring to market. And you're going to see more and more coming out of LR that's digitally focused. Wow. No, that's fascinating. So what? Uh, so where are you out of then? Where are you based out of? I'm, I'm based out of London. In London. Uh, yeah. Okay. But, I, but I've got a global role. Sure. Uh, so my, my role really in LR is to work with our clients on innovation. Cool. Uh, so to show them what we've got, encourage them to take it, pilot it with us, okay, and then commercialize it and make it into a solution. Very nice. Awesome. Well, uh, look, I certainly appreciate that. I just want to take a brief moment to talk about our sponsor giveaway. 
Tendeka is giving away a mini portable projector perfect for home theater, boardroom, office, and pocket video. For a chance to win, click the link in the show notes and we'll announce the lucky winners as they come in. And let's talk about events. I'd like to take a moment for Julie to tell us about some upcoming events. Hey everyone, it's Julie here with the events on deck for May 2019. We have our Midland Happy Hour on May 21st at Midland Beer Garden and it will be from 6 to 9 and then we have our Houston happy hour and it's going to be at the Canon from 6 to 9 on May 28th. This month we have the Oil and Gas Smart Contracts Conference on May 15th and 16th and we will actually be launching another one of our new podcasts live from that event so check it out the link is in the show notes. We have the Merge Market Energy Forum on May 21st at, it's in Houston. Just check that out in the show notes. And then we have a charity event, Golf for Good. That's a golf charity event for Redeemed Ministries. That's going to be on June 11th, 2019. And they are still looking for sponsors. So check that out in our show notes. And if you want to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. And that is it for the the month of May, some events on deck in the, the coming months. We have Shoot for the Future, a clay shoot on Friday, July 26th. And then NAPES and the, the NAPES summer is coming up in August. And that is it for our upcoming events. Awesome. Thanks, Julie. I also want to mention the OKC Fin Feather and Fur which will be happening Friday, October 11, 2019 at Heritage Place, Oklahoma City. This is relatively new for the Oklahoma region, so show them some love and sign up if you can. Also, Courtney Strang, a good buddy of mine with Inwell, will have all the details and can help line you out if you reach out to her. Anyone out there interested in playing some oil field hockey? Come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every three weeks at Memorial City Mall. They got an ice rink in there, believe it or not. So uh, hit me up on LinkedIn for more details, and I'll, I'll get you lined out for that. And if you're looking to get in shape for the summer, which is right around the corner, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas, and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening to Oil & Gas Onshore. If you're looking for more information, visit www.oilandgasonshore.com. David, thank you so much again for joining me today. I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of the conference. If people are interested about what we talked about today, what's the best way to go about that? Is it, you know, I would imagine, you know, we can put the link in the show notes, which is lr.org, right? And then there was another yeah. website you were talking about too. Yeah, no, it is our Lloyd's Register website. And okay. if you just look, search for the digital products, right. you'll find us. Okay. I'm more than happy for anyone to contact me. Perfect. Yeah, okay. So, Do you mind if we put your LinkedIn absolutely. in the show notes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And my, my LR email as well is okay. you know, david.rider with a Y at lr.org. Okay, well, we'll um, put I'm that in. I'm more than happy for people to call me. Well, we certainly me. appreciate you uh, opening your heart to the world and continuing to do a great job at Lloyd's Register and for our industry as a whole. I think it's Thanks, fascinating Justin. what you guys are doing. And that's a wrap. So always remember, folks, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Wahoo! Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. 